Would you turn to 1 Corinthians this evening? And let's continue in our marriage meeting. Thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians 7. How many thought Miss Phyllis did a good job last night? I'm telling you, outstanding. I know good preaching when I hear it, and that was good. Because it's truth, amen? The truth makes you free. Hallelujah. Well, believe with me tonight, then, that we have some more good. And, uh, you know, this is not about you guys supporting Phyllis and myself. This is Phyllis and myself and you, all of us, coming here and presenting ourselves before the Lord. All of us. And saying, Lord, teach us. Show us. Correct us. Help us. Amen. Amen. And then, here's the big thing, then being doers of the word. Amen. Do you know good to, to come and hear and take pages of notes and buy the tapes? If you don't do it, it won't change your life. It won't benefit you unless you put it into practice, unless you're a doer. Everybody say it out loud. Just uh, affirm your faith. Say, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer of the word of God. Uh, let's pray before we read this. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being together. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the anointing that teaches us and illuminates. And Lord, let your light come and show up uh, falsehoods and misconceptions and confusion. And let your truth come and set us free from all that hinders and binds. Thank you for correcting wrong thinking and giving us strength and causing faith to come from hearing your word that we may rise up and attain to your best. And we'll give you all the glory. Thank you for utterance and ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7. Y'all got your seatbelts on tonight, are you? (laughs) I don't want you to fall out of your chair on some of this. (laughs) Say, Lord, help Brother Keith. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7, this whole chapter deals with the subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage. And if you have questions, read this chapter, read it, reread it, reread it. This is New Testament. This is, uh, they wrote to Paul and they had questions about marriage and the Holy Ghost through Paul sent this back to them. And this is the direction for the church. He talked about marrying or not marrying, staying single. And, uh, you know, both Jesus and Paul, well, I sh- the Holy Ghost through Paul and the Master Jesus brought out that not everybody can receive the saying about being single. That you need to be gifted. Is that right? So you don't want to feel like that you're second best to be married. I mean, what if nobody got married? No Christians got married. Well, then the ungodly would quickly outnumber the godly. It's God-ordained that people are to be married, and there are to be children, and there's to be families. Uh, and you don't want to think, well, if I was spiritual enough, I would be, uh, you know, celibate, and I'd be single. That's not true. Most of the apostles were married. Is that right? And had families. It doesn't mean that you're less spiritual because you're married. Not at all. 
But now he does bring this out. He said, verse 27, 1 Corinthians seven twenty-seven: Are you bound to a wife? You've been married. You've entered into covenant with a wife. What should you do? Hmm? Don't seek to get loose. You shouldn't be wanting to get loose, but if you are, let's get it fixed, but don't try to get loose. Are you loosed from a wife? This is talking about somebody that uh, their spouse has gone on home to be with the Lord or separated or whatever for some reason. Uh, don't automatically seek a wife. Verse 28, but and if you marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marry, they've not sinned. What did the next phrase say? Nevertheless, such, such what? People that get married shall have trouble in the spirit. Huh? The trouble's not in the spirit. Where's the trouble? So then the more flesh we got, what do we have? More trouble. The less flesh, less trouble, because the trouble is in the flesh. Are you with me? <laughs> Back up a couple of pages. You know, this wasn't written in chapter and verse. Back up to the third chapter. Tell me where the trouble comes from. It's from the devil. Huh? No. You can't blame it on the devil. The devil's been stripped, he's been defeated, he's been brought to naught. So the Christian cannot really blame their troubles on the devil. No. Oh, they try. Yep. <laughs> How they try. But the enemy only has the liberty that people allow him through the flesh. Didn't the scripture say, neither give place to the devil? How would you give place to him? Through the flesh. Through yielding to the flesh, you wind up yielding to the devil. Well, what if you didn't yield to the flesh? Well, then the devil would have no place. No, don't give the devil more credit and attribute to him more ability than what he actually has. He only has the place Christians give him. He cannot come in and destroy your marriage without your cooperation. He cannot come in and mess up your finances without your participation. Did you hear me? So what's the real trouble? The real problem is the flesh. You got flesh? Oh, you bet. <laughs> Has your flesh been born again? No, it was the man on the inside. Been born again. So your flesh still has the nature in the flesh like before you were born again. Your flesh has the same nature of Joe Sinner down the streets not even trying to live right. Your flesh will do anything you let it do. You can't trust your flesh any further than you can throw it. Your flesh will be mean. I didn't say your neighbors. Your, your flesh will be mean, a liar, a thief, a fornicator, an adulterer. Your flesh. I say, oh, no, no. Hey, you start yielding, where does it stop? If you start yielding, it'll get worse and worse and worse and there's no end. That's why the Bible said, make no provision for the lust of the flesh. Paul said, I keep my body under. I bring it into subjection. What you got to do with this flesh? You got to keep it under control. Right? And there's a little two-letter word that you got to use frequently with the flesh. 
N-O. No. No. Because your flesh has feelings. Your flesh has desires. And they need to be controlled. Two people that's got a lot of trouble in their marriage are two people that are yielding to the flesh. Not most of the time. All the time. Now in 1 Corinthians 3, look at this. He said, He said, Brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Babies are carnal. I've fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet what? Carnal. Any other translations use a different word? Huh? What word does it use? Flesh. Flesh. You're what? You're fleshy. Fleshly. Flesh ruled. That's the opposite of being spiritual. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal, fleshy, and walk as men? Or one translation says mere men, mere unsaved men. Walk like men that never been saved. If there is strife, if there's yelling and screaming and fighting and tension, what's going on? People are being carnal. I don't care if they're preachers. I don't care how many scriptures they quote. I don't care if they talk in tongues. You don't have trouble like that without people yielding to the flesh. Giving in to the flesh. I don't care how spiritual somebody thinks they are. If you're embroiled in strife continually, you are carnal. The Bible says so. I mean, these people, they knew about the gifts of the Spirit. He told them previously, you come behind in no good gift. They knew about tongues. They knew about prophecy. They knew about these things. He wrote to them the 12th chapter, giving them explanation. But he also tells them, you're a carnal bunch. Right? So speaking in tongues doesn't automatically make you spiritual. Quoting scriptures doesn't automatically make you spiritual. The presence of strife reveals carnality. And people have trouble in the flesh. And uh, that's why that, you know, I know Phyllis and I, in our few years of being married, we have seen unmistakable evidence that as we have grown spiritually, troubles have evaporated that we previously had. The younger you are, and the dumber you are, and the more fleshly you are, the more trouble you're going to have. Hmm? Growing up spiritually is inseparable from growing up in love and inseparable from growing up in faith. And love knows when to to not push it. And faith knows when to let it go and believe it will work out. Amen. But flesh doesn't. Now go with me to Galatians, the fifth chapter, because that whole chapter deals with the flesh Versus the spirit, doesn't it? I'm going to get into some real pointed specific things in here in just a minute. But we've got to be on the same page first. If you're having trouble in your marriage, what's going on? Hmm? People are being carnal. Yielding to the flesh. Getting in the flesh. In Galatians 5... Galatians 5, let's see, verse uh, 13 or so here. 
Galatians 5.13, he says, Brethren, we have been called to liberty, freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, do what? Sounds like what Phyllis was talking about last night, pleasing each other. You know, you watch folk holler, you know, well, I got to be free. I've got to be free. And so many times they're hollering about their flesh. I got to yield to my flesh. But don't use our God-bought liberty to be fleshy. You'll say, well, don't put that bondage on me. Don't put them rules on me. We've been set free. I got to be free. And they're talking about free to yield to the flesh. No, we are free to what? Do our own thing. Huh? We are free to serve. That's the law of Christ. We've been set free. We are liberated. We're redeemed. We're loosed to serve. To serve. To serve. Not to please our own selves, but to please the Lord and, and please and bless others. Keep reading. Don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. All the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor means nearby. And there's nobody that's nearby more often than your spouse. Right? They're right there. If you can walk in love at home, you can walk in love anywhere. Is that right? Oh, it's easy to walk in love with somebody you only see 15 minutes a year. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love you, brother. Yeah, I love you, too. Don't miss that plane. Long distance, you know. But people that you're in the same house with and in the same room with and in each other's face all the time, you can't hide your flesh from somebody you live with day and night. So there's only one solution. You must put your flesh under or else cause problems. They must put their flesh under, keep and control their flesh under, or else cause problems. Keep reading. He said, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. It's a sad thing that husbands and wives chew each other up when they're supposed to be building each other up. The very person that's supposed to be putting into you is tearing you down. That's not right. That's not what's supposed to be going on. And what if you're chewing each other up? You could both wind up being consumed. Both. That's what happens when you yield to the flesh. You know, people say that, well, now bless God, I'm just real. I'm not a put on. If I don't like you, I'm not going to act like I do. And if I'm mad, I'm not going to act like I'm not. I'm just real. Yeah, real carnal. Flesh ruled. I'm not a put on. The Bible says you are to be a put on. You are to put on the new man. How do you do that? Well, you don't always feel like acting the way you should act, but you are to put on 
faith. Put on love. Put on peace even when you don't feel like it. Put it on. Sometimes people say, well, I can't wait till I get home and I can just let my hair down and be myself. Well, who you been being? (laughs) And see, it's a fact. People put on a front. They have their public persona and their private person. And that will wear you out. It will wear you out. Trying to put on something. Don't do that. But when do I get to let my hair down and be myself? What are you talking about? When do you get to flesh out? Huh? When do I get to say anything that crosses my mind and just act like I feel? And if I'm mad, act like I'm mad. And if I'm depressed, act like I'm... The answer is never. You're never supposed to do that. Never. Not at home, not by yourself, not with your spouse, not with your kids, not with your dog. Never. Is it okay to just yield to the flesh and just yield to your feelings and just say everything that crosses your mind? Never is it okay. To do so is to sin. To get in the flesh and to sin. And if you do it, you're going to cause trouble. You're going to hurt people. You're going to mess up things in your life. We must control our feelings. We must control our words. We must control our thoughts. Be godly men and women. Be spiritual men and women. Amen. Amen. Protect our families. Protect our relationships. How many know saying the wrong thing can really hurt a relationship? This one wrong thing said in intense feeling and emotion and hate can really hurt somebody, can really hurt a relationship. How much better to be to just control yourself? Go cool off and realize, I don't believe that. Cast that thought down. Never say it, and don't let yourself think on it. You can do it. He said, verse 16, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How can I keep from getting in the flesh? Walk in the Spirit. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. You can't yield to the flesh while you're walking in the Spirit. Hmm? And you're not walking in the Spirit while you're yielding to the flesh. If you work on walking in the Spirit, you don't have to work on not yielding to the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the way it works. Now, if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Everybody say led of the Spirit. Led of the Spirit. Oh my. How many times husbands and wives have been in intense discussions. And uh, something come up, they're going to say something and they had a check. Had a check. I mean, if you pray, if you walk with God, you'll have a check. What's that check? No, I don't say that. Don't do that. But how many times? The flesh is just kicking so hard. Bless God, I got to say it. I got to say that. And so they spit it out. And they had their say. 
and it cost them. Don't raise your hands. No testimonies on this, but just nod knowingly if you know what I'm talking about. People get into discussions, fights, and get to talking. And then they say, well, what about such and such? And they go, well, what about so and so? And I mean, it gets to flowing. And thoughts come. And words come and memories come from 15 and 20 years ago. And you didn't have to think them up. It's like you're inspired. Because you are. But it ain't the Holy Ghost. The devil's talking now through your mouth. Bringing things. That you'd forgotten and they'd forgotten and dredging up junk and saying stuff in the flesh. Yielding to the enemy. That's how relationships are destroyed. But the Holy Ghost, if you listen, if you listen, he'll check you. Mm, don't say that. little check on the inside. Don't say that. If you be led by the Spirit, check. And then sometimes, no, now's not the time. Now's not the time to talk about that. Y'all just go to bed. Now's not the time. There's wisdom in God if you'll listen. No, that's not the way to say that. Say it like this. No, don't talk about it now. Deal with it later. There's wisdom if you'll be led by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You know, I've talked to people, got involved with somebody other than their spouse, even somebody else's wife, somebody else's husband, and they tried to tell me how spiritual it was. Well, there was a connection between us in the spirit, and it was just something that, you know, was bigger than the both of us. No, no, no. It's flesh. Flesh. Yeah, but we could just sit and talk for hours and it was just so wonderful. And the next thing I knew, we had gone too far. Flesh. 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 Idolatry. The Bible said in Colossians 3, 5 that covetousness is idolatry. Coveting a house. Coveting a car. Coveting things can hurt relationships. God wants you to have nice things and you can sow your seed and you can believe for it. But don't push something. We got to get this and we got to get this now and you're being covetous. That thing has become an idol to you. And you can tell if it is because you talk about it all the time. You talk about it all the time. It's all right to say I'm believing for a new house. I'm believing for a good house. And you say, that's all right. But it's not all right to house, 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 house. House in the morning, house at noontime, house when the sun, the house this and the house that. That's idolatry. And it's flesh. It's flesh. Witchcraft. You know, the word translated witchcraft here is really the word we get our word uh, pharmaceutical from. Drugs. How many know getting drunk and getting high is flesh? 
Yielding to the flesh. How many relationships has that destroyed? Alcohol and drugs. I don't care how terribly you've been bound. There's power in God. You can be set free. I've seen it. I said I've seen it firsthand. I'm thinking of a guy right now. He was a surgeon. Top in his field. But you know sometimes those guys. Push themselves too hard and too long. Go day after day. And not get sleep like he should. Because they got access to all these drugs. And so he starts taking something. And he starts taking something else. Something else to get him up. Something to get him down. Next thing you know he's in a mess. After years of this, I mean, he is in a bad shape. He'd been in and out of some different programs and still using, not free. I remember him distinctly. He was with us for two weeks. We preached to him in healing school and taught him. And on that Thursday, the second week, we laid hands on him. I remember distinctly the Lord dealt with us to command that thing to be broken from off him. That bondage. He said it felt just like a band snapped from off of his head and off of his chest. He called me three months later. He was down in Central America doing mission work. Said I hadn't had a drug since that day. He said I'm so free. Glory to God. I don't care if it's heroin. I don't care what it is. God can set you free. Amen. Amen. He can do it like that. If you can believe. And don't talk hopelessness. Amen. Confess your freedom. Confess your deliverance. And receive it. He went on to talk about hatred, strife, which is variance, was, uh, is sometimes translated strife, emulations, wrath, anger, seditions, excuse me, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, all that is what? Works of the flesh, yielding to the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Say it out loud with me. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. He said, against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also... Well, we are alive in the Spirit. We've been born again. We're alive in the Spirit. But that doesn't mean you automatically walk in the Spirit. Just because you've been born again doesn't mean you automatically walk in the Spirit every day. You can yield to the flesh. But what if two people in a marriage are yielding to the Spirit and walking in the Spirit every day? That doesn't mean that you're in a trance. (laughs) That doesn't mean that your eyes are rolled back and you're talking in tongues half the time and you just don't even hardly know where you are. No, 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 no. Walking in the Spirit, if you're yielding to the Holy Ghost, you're going to be yielding to love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What if you got two people, day and night, walking in love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. What kind of trouble are you going to have? None. None. If two people walked in the Spirit 
walked in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, day and night, there would be no trouble. None. Everybody say none. 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 There would be no trouble. Somebody would do something, the other person would walk in love. Somebody would feel down, and then they'd yield to joy. Somebody would feel pressed, and then they'd yield to peace. Amen. Amen. Somebody would do something for the 40th time, and the other person would walk in long-suffering. Somebody would be promoted and ahead of the other, and then they'd walk in meekness. Did you hear me? Somebody would be pulled on something in their flesh, but they'd walk in temperance and self-control. Now you've yielded to the flesh, I've yielded to the flesh. But we didn't have to then, and we don't have to now. If we want our marriages right, we have to make a commitment to walk in the Spirit. Yield to the Holy Ghost. Yield to love. Everybody said out loud, I'm walking in love. I'm walking in love. I'm walking in joy. I'm walking in peace. Go ahead, look at your Bible while we're saying it. I'm walking in long suffering. I'm walking in gentleness. I'm walking in goodness. I'm walking in faith. I'm walking in meekness. I'm walking in temperance. Now see, anything that is not these and is the opposite of these, you were yielding to the flesh. And that's where the trouble comes in. Such will have trouble in the flesh. You okay with this? Can we go on now? I want to give you this evening, as the Lord would help us, five areas that the enemy uses. It all comes back to walking in the flesh. But five major areas that the enemy uses to destroy marriages. Relationship killers they are. I'll give you five things because the scripture teaches we don't have to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And so if you know this is what he uses, this is how he works to kill marriages, to kill relationships, you'll be on your guard. You won't yield to them. Number one that we've already talked about, but it is number one. The number one enemy of your marriage. It's not the devil. It's selfishness. Number one enemy. I've heard folk before, you know, say, well, the number one problem is communication. And, you know, different uh, individuals get into a lot of therapy and with psychology and emphasize the communication aspect of it. I disagree. I don't say that haphazardly or lightly. I've been looking at it, thinking about it for many years. I do not agree. You can be communicating perfectly and destroy your marriage. Well, tell me how you really feel. (laughs) I hate your guts. I despise you. Well, now you're communicating well. I mean, you are expressing fully what you've. (laughs) No. Communication is important. We can develop in communication. No question about that. But that is not the biggest problem. And that is not the biggest issue. The biggest problem is selfishness. Which is another way of saying the flesh. Because that is the nature of the flesh. All you got to do to be selfish. Is just wake up in the morning. Did you hear me? The selfishness is there. In the nature of your flesh. And if you just yield to what you feel. You will be selfish. And it will cost you. 
in every area. The two kind of people, takers and givers. And you got to make up your mind. If you want to be successful in your marriage, you got to make up your mind, I'm not a taker. I'm not a demander. I'm not a requirer. I'm a giver. I've seen people, their main emphasis in trying to help somebody is they say, well, okay, we've got to get you communicating. So they sit them down and they say, all right, now you tell him what you need from him. Go ahead and explain it now and tell him what you need from him. And then now you tell her what you need from her. No. No. If two people are requiring of each other, nobody's giving. And the thing that will make you miserable is for you to dwell on what you need and what you want. It is unscriptural. It is not the love of God. No. You don't need to prepare ten pages to tell them what you need from them. You need to forget about what you need from them. And you need to focus on what you can give them. Not everybody agrees with this, but show me the scripture for the other. Are you with me? The reason why there's so many problems in so many marriages in the church. There's a reason why. It's because people have substituted men's thinking for the word of God. And there are things that are preached and taught with conviction, just like it's the scripture in this area. And it is not. It is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. I've had people sit down in front of my desk before. She's telling him, well, I have needs. And you don't care. You're not concerned. You're insensitive to what I need. And he says, well, I have needs too. You don't care. They're communicating. And what are they communicating? Complete selfishness. I need. I want. Both parties are saying, I need. I want. Nobody is giving anything, so there is nothing to receive. And unless somebody's going to change, there's no hope in a situation like that. No, you do not need to sit down and write out and convey to your husband or your wife what you need from them and what you need them to do for you. You do not need to do that. You need to forget about that. And you need to put your soul in the hands of the Lord. And say, Lord, you're my source. You meet my needs. You complete me. You fulfill me. Spirit, soul, and body. You'll either do it directly from you to me, or you'll do it through somebody to me. But you will take care of me, and my eyes are on you. And I'll pull on nobody. Are you with me? Friend, this is so important. If I could say it stronger, I'd hang from the lights and scream. Because this is where people are messing up so terribly. No, do not tell them 
what you need from them. People say, well, I want him to do this for me. No, you don't. No, I do. No, you don't. Well, I want her to do this for me. No, you don't. Well, I do. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want them to want to do it. And you pulling on them will not make them want to do it. But you giving to them. What happens when you give? You've got a spiritual law going now. Right? You start sowing, what happens? You're going to have some reaping coming your way. And what if they're sowing and you're sowing? And they're sowing and you're sowing. And they're sowing. Oh my. It's going to start getting better immediately. And then it's going to get better and better. Because you're not acting like a baby. Laying in the bed crying. Feeling sorry for yourself. Because your man don't treat you right. And because your woman don't respect you. That's what kills marriages. Because while you lay there yielding to that self-pity, the devil will come. I said the enemy will come. Demons will come and sit on your shoulder. They'll come and lay down in the bed with you. And they'll feed you lies all night long about what they should have done for you. And why didn't they do this? And how you deserve this. And you deserve the other. And how this is not fair. And you don't deserve this. You deserve better. The Lord never told you one word of that. That was straight from the pit. And if you lay there and listen to it. You'll get more miserable and you'll get more vexed and you'll get full of that in your heart. And the next time you talk to them, out it'll come. And why don't you do this for me and you don't care about me and and there will be misery in that house. Misery. And people, not enough knowledge or not enough humility to admit they are the source of it themselves. They're causing this by yielding to the devil in their house. I'm going to say it again real slow. Forget about what you need. Forget about what you want. Don't even let yourself use the word deserve. You ever hear people sometimes say, well, I don't understand. What did I ever do to deserve this? The answer is lots. (laughs) Plenty. You want to talk about what you deserve? Huh? Huh? You want to talk about what did you do? You have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What do you deserve? The wages of sin is death. You deserve death. You deserve anxiety. You deserve sickness. You deserve poverty. You deserve to die prematurely and go to hell. Let's not talk about what we deserve. Let's talk about grace. About mercy. About how Jesus got what he didn't deserve. So we could get what we didn't deserve. Righteousness, healing. Amen. Amen. So don't talk about what you deserve. Mm-mm. I don't even like it when somebody tells me this, God did something good for you and they go, oh, well, you deserve it. You've worked hard. I don't even like that. I usually don't correct people because they wouldn't understand in five seconds, but I don't like that. No, I say God is good to me. Amen. In spite of my mistakes, in spite of my shortcomings, he has done so much for us and he is so good. That's not trying to be humble. That's reality. That's just a fact. Tell me what the number one killer 
of marriages is? Selfishness. Do you need to think and talk and tell them what you need from them? And what you want. I don't care whose book you read. I don't care what TV program you watched. Were they quoting scriptures? Then forget it. Get it out. There's some books you ought to go home and throw out. I'm serious. It's just like poison in your house. You ought to go home and get that thing and pitch it in the trash can. And get in your Bible. Amen. Number one killer, selfishness. Number two, would you like to know number two? (laughs) Yeah, selfishness is the top ten. You're right. (laughs) Go to Luke 8. (laughs) Luke, the eighth chapter. Number two, killer of marriages. Don't put too much emphasis on the number of these next several. Number one, I told you, number one is number one. But these others, I'm not just trying to give you in the order of significance now. But number two, this is a marriage killer. Secrets. Secrets. What am I talking about? I'm talking about keeping things from each other. And almost always involved and connected with that is Dishonesty and lying. You cannot have a relationship without trust. And you can't trust somebody that lies to you. You can't. You'd be a fool to. And people don't realize what lying is. Lying is one of the most awful things that has ever been on planet earth. I'm telling you, people sometimes grow up and don't think and don't realize their parents lie, their teachers lied, their friends lied. And even sometimes people say, well, you know, a little white lie. Lying is one of the most awful things you could ever do. When you lie to somebody, you know, anybody, but somebody's supposed to be your friend, somebody's supposed to be your spouse, and you look them in the eye and you tell them something that is a lie. What are you trying to do? You're trying to use their love and care for you as a vehicle to open them up for you to deceive them. You're counting on the trust they have in you, enabling you to deceive them, which is the work of the devil. That's what he's the enemy of our soul. And every day, that's what he tries to do all day long is deceive us. And when our spouse joins up with the devil and tells us lies to deceive us, it's the ultimate betrayal. It is being a traitor to the covenant. It's an awful, awful, awful thing. Look there in Colossians. You were, Well, you're in Ephesians, right? No, you're in Luke. You were in Ephesians. Hold your place in Luke. But go to Ephesians... And Colossians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Hold your place in Luke, because I'm going there. Ephesians 4.22. Put off concerning the former conversation the old man. 
which was completely ruled by the flesh, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you hadn't thought lying was that bad, you need to get your mind renewed so that you realize it is awful. And put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore... What's the very first specific thing he says after talking about that? Putting away what? Putting away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Go to Colossians. Everybody say, put away lying. Put off the old man. Put away lying. Well, see, the nature of... Of the unregenerate man is the nature of the enemy. And what is his language? The language of the devil's kingdom. I mean he is a liar. He is the father of lies John said. And when he speaks a lie he speaks his own. He's a liar. You don't want to be devilish do you? So you cannot lie. Not even once in a while. Ever. There's never any situation. There's never any situation where a lie is justifiable. Never. Under any circumstances is a lie justifiable. Ever. I wouldn't lie for my own mother. I wouldn't lie for Phyllis. Did you hear me? Oh no. Mm -mm. If I lie, I compromise my internal integrity. Let me ask you a question. What if God told a lie? What if God told a lie? You know what would happen? He would cease to be God. God cannot be a liar. And everything, including the earth and the sun and the heavens and all the planets and all the systems, are upheld by what? His word. What if his word was no longer good? This thing would come apart like a $2 watch. You and I would gasp our last breath and be flung off the planet and gravity would stop and the sun would stop shining and everything would come apart because it's all based on the integrity of his word. Did you know your life is like that? In your life, you and I are framing our world with our words. And you understand In order to be successful, victorious, you have to be a person of faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But do you understand it is impossible to be a liar and to be a person of faith? Impossible. Why? Can you remember Mark 11.23? What does it say? Mark 11.23. If you will say to this mountain... Be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe in your heart that what God says, huh? Believe in your heart what God says. Hmm. What must you believe? You must believe your words. Yeah, you've got to believe God's words, but you also must believe your own words. What if you told three lies? Well, you know in your own self you're a liar. You don't have confidence in your own words. So when you speak confessions, there's no power in them. To be a person of faith, 
You must be a person whose word is a word of integrity, which means you never lie. Never. You will swear to your own hurt, but it won't change. If it costs you every dollar you got, you will not lie. If it cost you your life, you wouldn't lie. Are you with me? I know that's a strong statement, but there is no other way. The only other way is to compromise and yield to the devil and be a partner with his language. Which is certain death and destruction. Now, I know Phyllis and I from dealing with numerous couples and numerous situations, this is a big problem. Like she was saying the other night, people buy stuff and don't tell. They have conversations and meetings and don't tell. They do things and don't tell. And then if it comes up, lie. Did you do that? No. But see, friend, when your spouse looks you in the eye and asks you a question and you look back and purposely tell them the wrong answer. You have put a knife in the heart of your marriage. Because you are destroying trust. Which is the fabric that holds this thing together. Now I didn't say you couldn't get over it. If somebody lies. I mean. You know people don't like to think this way. But the reality is. Most of the people in here have lied to each other at some point. It's not right. didn't have to be that way. God will forgive you. And your spouse might forgive you. It's up to them. But the one thing that has to happen. Is it's got to stop. Right? If you to have a chance. An opportunity I should say. To recover and to go on and be what you're supposed to be. It must stop. I've had people look at me and say. Well yeah but now brother Keith. They said, what do I do? I said, tell him the truth. Brother Keith, I don't think he can handle the truth. Where did you find that you had an option? (laughs) When did you talk to the Lord in prayer? And he said, well, you know, they can't handle the truth. No. You have to make the consecration if it costs me. I'm going to tell the truth. If it costs me big time. If they decide they don't want anything to do with me anymore. I got to tell the truth. I must. And don't tell somebody something and then turn around and say, now you got to forgive me. They don't. They should. But they don't have to. And you have no right to require them to. What you should be thinking about is how you can prove yourself. And regain their trust. Go to Luke, please. You got your place there? It's mighty quiet. It is serious business. It really is. Luke 8. Just hold on. The uh, one after the next one is funny. <laughs> Not necessarily the next one, but the next one is. Luke Eight, seventeen. Red letters. Jesus is talking. How many know this is a fact? If Jesus said it, 
It's a fact. It's going to happen just this way. Luke 8, 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. What will you be able to hide forever? Nothing. It is coming out. Better for you to tell them than for them to find out some other way. Things have a way of coming out. Right? So, I've said plenty about it. It's a very sobering thing. But is it okay to tell even one lie? It is a betrayal of trust. It is a devilish thing. If it costs you, if you think they're going to walk and leave you, still. I know that's a hard thing. But first of all, you need to be a Christian. Amen? Amen. First of all, you need to have your heart clear between you and your God. Amen? First of all, go to God. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to give you the strength. Ask Him to give you the words. And then go to them and get these secrets out from between you because no matter how you try to act and even if they don't know it they know something if they have any spirituality about them they may not know what it is but they can sense there's something there you're hiding there's something you're not telling there's something you're not showing and it puts division it puts distance between you and you will not have all you should have secrets separate what will the truth do Tell me what the truth will do. And don't underestimate them. They love you. They'll probably forgive you. But don't make them do it again next week. Did you hear me? Change it. And if you do, you know, some folk, bless their hearts, they have lied from the time they were little kids. They just lie. They'll lie before they think about it. They just lie. And if you do that, you've got to break yourself. And here's how you do it. You tell somebody something that's not right and you're running your mouth before you think about it. Stop and go, excuse me, another thing I just told you, (laughs) yeah, that's a lie. (laughs) Don't sugarcoat it. Don't butter it. Call it what it is. It's a lie. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have told you that. It's a lie. Would you forgive me? And if you get all the way home and you're riding home and realize, man, that wasn't right. I knew that wasn't right. Call them on the phone. Be a man. Be a woman. Be strong. Call them. Say, hey, you know, we were talking a while ago. Yeah. You know that thing I told you about such and such? Yeah. Uh, That was a lie. I'm sorry. It's not right. Make it right. And if you keep doing that, it'll break you. Because next thing you start to tell something, you'll go, uh, uh. (laughs) You don't want to go back and have to straighten that up. It'll break you. Hmm? Are you with me? I didn't say it was easy. But this is how you become a person of faith. This is how you become a person of righteousness and integrity. And somebody your spouse can respect and look up to. Amen. And enjoy their company and get all the junk out from between you. Can you say amen? Amen. All right. Number three. We're having fun, huh? Uh. Y'all take a deep breath and let me take a drink of water here. 
Number three, you ready? Go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let me prime you for it. We're up to number three. We only got two more after this, so you can take it, right? You're tough. First Corinthians. Oh, I told you wrong. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians three. That's where I want you to go. Second Corinthians three. Have you found it? Seventeenth verse. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Liberty. Liberty. Third thing that will kill a marriage, kill a relationship, is smothering. Smothering. Anybody know what I mean by that? Smothering. Smothering over somebody. (laughs) Trying to control everything they do. Well, that's my wife. Not like it's your billfold. (laughs) Or your pistol. You don't own her like a thing. That's my husband. You don't own him like that. He's a gift to you from God. Yeah, you can call him my husband. But he is an independent spirit from you. And you from him. And he has a relationship with God apart from you. And you do too apart from him. Right? Yeah, you become one flesh. Not just one personality. You're always going to retain your uniqueness and your individuality. And for a relationship to be healthy, people must have freedom from you. They must be free to worship God and believe God apart from you. Have an identity, have skills, have abilities, have success, have accomplishments apart from you. Are you with me? Jealousy is something that can breed bitterness and choke the life out of a relationship. Always questioning. Always got to know every word somebody said to somebody else and every where they were every minute of the day. They're not your child. They're an adult. And if they haven't given you reasons to distrust you, you are insulting them every time you grill them and question them like this. And you've got to remember they can leave you if they want to. And you squeezing them is not going to make them want to stay. You choking them, smothering them. Ladies, you are not his mother. Did you hear me? If he wants to wear a polka dot tie with a green stripe, 
Make a suggestion. (laughs) But don't tell him what he has to do. Don't tell him he can't go out of his own house doing something he wants to do. Don't tell him. He'll resent it. Did you hear me? I've seen wives. I've seen pastors' wives correct their husband while he's preaching. Call him down in the middle of him preaching and say, no, 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 that ain't right. And straighten him out. I've been back in the speaker's room with people before. And the man's in his own church. In his own speaker's room. And he reaches up and takes something off the shelf. And his wife says, now put that back. Put that back. Don't be doing that. And he was dumb enough to do it. (laughs) But I've seen in his eyes. They're choked. Did you hear me? He loves her, but he hates that. He's choking him. I've seen men so unreasonably jealous of their wives. Anybody that looks at them, he was looking at you. What'd you do? You know, why'd you encourage him? You need to be like my uncle. He had a... uh, when their first marriage, you know, his wife's so pretty, just, you know, outstanding. And uh, guys would whistle at her, you know, and make remarks and this and that. Somebody said, man, don't that bother you? He said, no, I wouldn't want a woman so ugly. Nobody else would look at her. <laughs> People don't think right. You know, they want her to be beautiful, but nobody else could notice her. Want him to be handsome, but nobody else can notice him. Well, no, if they're good looking, somebody's liable to notice them, especially unsafe folks that don't mind what they say. Huh? But you need to be secure. Enough within yourself. And trust them. If they want to leave you, if they want to play around on you, they can you can't stop it. Did you hear me? Men, women, if your wife wants to cheat on you, she will. She can. And you cannot stop it. If your man wants to cheat on you, you can't keep it from happening. A person can find a way. But you need to be secure enough in God. Amen. That you know that no matter what happens, you could still be okay in God. You got enough of your heart in Him and enough of your soul in Him that you are secure and you love them. You know they're human. You know they could mess up. It's possible, but you trust them. And no need worrying and fretting about what could be, what could happen. You can ruin today talking about what could happen. Everybody say freedom. 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 Encourage your husband's success. Encourage your wife's success. Encourage their gifts apart from you. Encourage their accomplishments. Trust them. Amen? Amen. They want to go somewhere, go. You want to do something, do it. Because if they don't want to come back to be with you, you don't want them anyway. Did you hear me?
Everybody say liberty. liberty. Bible talked about not quenching the spirit. The word quench is like throwing a wet blanket on or throwing a water on. And you can do that with somebody. I've seen men do that with their wives. Have a wife with a lot of ability. And they were so insecure that if their wife's better at something than they were, it bothered them. Made them feel bad. And so they'd quench that. Go back home and fuss at them and chew on them about it, you know. And, well, you're just making me look bad. Well, you're just insecure and weak. Any man with any sense knows the better your wife looks, the better you look. It's a direct reflection on you. People go, whoo, man, that's a smart, good looking, sharp, successful woman. You go, yeah, it's my wife. Yeah. It's not keeping her down, keeping her subdued. That's going to make you look good. That's going to make you look weak. Make you look insecure. Everybody say no smothering. No smothering. Freedom. 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 Jesus is our husband. Is that right? How free is he with us? (laughs) You can do anything you want to do. Is that right? Now, if you decide to hook up with the devil, it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt your fellowship. But he's not going to make you. And he's got the power to. He could make you stay home. (laughs) <laughs> he could lift his little finger and stick you to the floor where you couldn't even leave. I'm not going to let you sin against me. He won't do it. Why? Because there is no such thing as love unless it's willing. There is no such thing as commitment unless it's free will. But somebody wants to. Do not try to coerce it. Do not try to force it. Do not try to control your spouse like a robot. Give them their freedom. Amen. You ready for another one? <laughs> All right. Number four. Something that will uh, hurt relationships. Go to First Corinthians seven. Y'all having any fun at all? Good. 1 Corinthians 7. This is another way of talking about walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. Just different ways of saying the same thing. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to the wife due benevolence, what is due her. Likewise, the wife unto the husband, what is due him. Can you see that God intended that husbands and wives be satisfied physically and emotionally within the relationship? Right? And he goes on to say, the wife has not power of her own body but the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. When you get married, you become one flesh, you are no longer the one who has sole rights to your body. Your spouse 
has rights to your body. And that doesn't just mean access to sex. They have rights concerning everything about your body. See, he didn't limit it to sex. Let me read you other translations of this. Uh, The William says, The wife does not have the right to do as she pleases with her own body. The husband has his rights to it. The wife has not authority over her own body, does not have sole authority over her own body. She belongs to her husband. The wife cannot claim her body as her own. It is her husband's and likewise the husband. Everything I just said applies equally to the husband. The husband doesn't have the right to do as he pleases with his own body. The wife has her rights to his body. We have a scriptural, biblical obligation to care for our body, to keep our body in a way that pleases our spouse. It's part of our marital responsibility. And one thing that is a great hindrance and problem to marriages is slobbiness. Do you know what I mean by that? Slobbiness. People letting their self go. It's amazing. Shouldn't be too amazing. It's the flesh. But when people get each other, they'll work so hard so many times uh, in dating and trying to look good and dress good and stay sharp. And then when people get married, a lot of times, in as soon as six months, they just start letting it all go. Don't make the effort to look good. This is a problem. People try to act like, well, you know, the physical is not that big of a deal. It is. Do not kid yourself. It is. Well, if he really loved me, then these 30 pounds wouldn't matter. And if you really loved him, you'd get them off. Well, if she really loved me, a little pot belly wouldn't matter. (laughs) No, if she cares, you have a biblical responsibility to do something about it. Did you hear me? Oh, this is going over big. Ladies, if your husband likes long hair and you don't and you rebel and you say, I don't care what you say, I'm not fooling with it. You're defying this passage. If he doesn't like red hair and you insist on dyeing yours red, you're rebellious. You're defying this and you're going to cause problems. If she doesn't like you being scruffy and she likes for you to come in and clean up real good when you get in from work and you don't like it and you just want to plop down with a whole day of sweat on you. Well, bless God, it's my body. No, it's hers too. And if she says you clean it up, then you clean it up. She says, you know, I don't like that pot belly on you. 
Scripture tells you to get it off. Are you listening? Now, I'm not telling you what size to be. I'm not telling you what weight to be. I'm not telling you how to dress. I'm telling you, you have an obligation to please your spouse. If they're thrilled with you, just like you are right now, wonderful. Wonderful. But if there's something they've asked you about numerous times and you just ignore You're opening the door for problems in your marriage. Your body is not your own. That also blows a big hole in the uh, abortion argument too, doesn't it? Well, a woman's body is her own body. No, it's not just her own body. And with that argument, then it's not yours, it's your mother's. Hmm? No. Doesn't hold water. Your body is yours. It's also God's. And it's also your spouse's. Now, if you're a single person, this doesn't figure in. But if you're married, your body's not your own. You want to take care of it. You want to make yourself look in a way that's attractive to them. It is not their job to make themselves find you attractive. It's your job to make yourself attractive to them. (laughs) This works equally with men and women. Listen to these scriptures. Revelation 19. And, you know, I know you can do anything you want to with this. You can just walk out of here and say, I don't like that. But if you want the best marriage you can have, and if you want to remove the problems and the open doors for the enemy, then you want to take heed to these things. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. You know what's going on right now? The bride is getting herself ready. Hallelujah. And the Lord is working on us. With the washing of the water of the word. So that come presentation time. There's not one spot. Not one wrinkle. Not one blemish. Just glorious bride. And the scripture says in the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelation. He said be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready and how many know he's ready too he's (laughs) is he going to be glorious how many know when the lord comes for the marriage supper of the lamb he's not going to look rough huh let me give you the definition of sloppiness ill kept messy sloppy Uncombed, unkept, unneat. Let me give you another hint here now. (laughs) Believe God, if you don't have it already, believe God, talking to your married couples now, believe God for separate bathrooms. Amen. (laughs) 
And believe God for separate cars. And things like that to give yourself uh, some freedom and give yourself some ability so that you, and you don't want to always be seeing each other at your worst. There's some images of you you don't want in their mind. I'm serious. People get lazy and they get sloppy and they just let themselves go and they'll just be around each other in any and every condition. People say, well, I don't see what's wrong with that. Well, yeah, and you've lost some things too. People want to know, well, you know, what about the magic and what about that attraction and what about that passion? Well, there are some pictures and appearances that just don't do it for you. (laughs) You still love them. Loving somebody and being attracted to them is not the same thing. You could be attracted to somebody you didn't even know. Hmm? That's supposed to be starved. But what's the best is when you love somebody and... You're attracted to them. And you can be attracted to somebody for a lifetime. It's not impossible. You can be. Which leads me up to my next point. Anybody know what I'm talking about about slobbiness? Huh? Find out what they like. How do you like me to wear my hair? Men and women. And men, don't be a problem. I mean, if she says, well, you know, I'd like for you to dye some of that gray. Or I'd like for you to let it go gray. Well, I'd like for you to comb it different and wear it different. Don't just say, ah, i got to work. I ain't got time to fool with that woman. <laughs> you just said, I don't care. Did you hear me? Oh, I got you. We ain't going nowhere. Let me say something, and it may not bless you, but it's true. Though, <laughs> though, listen, and you see what I'm talking about. The worse you look, the better other people look to your spouse. The worse you look, the contrast increases. So, do we? Have a biblical responsibility. Your body's not your own. Now it's not reasonable. You want her to be lean and trim and in good shape. And you're going to let yourself go. That ain't going to work. Both of you are going to have to make equal commitment to the situation. And I'm not telling you what's right for you. I'm saying you need to make each other happy. Amen. 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 I'm not about to tell you what weight or size or shape is the right for you. That's none of my business. Your wife's size and shape is none of my business. My wife's size and shape is none of yours. Right? If I'm happy with her, that's the end of it. Right? 
And if you're happy with yours, no business of mine. But is she happy with you? Is he happy with you? Have you ignored things they've told you? Then fix it. Don't just be sloppy. Let yourself go. You've heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And there is a truth to that over-familiarity does cause people not to appreciate. One way you can put some spice back into some things is with some fasting. Not being in each other's face all the time. Not getting dressed in front of each other. Did you hear me? Some people don't like this. (laughs) Well, just do without. Do it your way. I'm telling you how to put some passion back into some things. How to recover some things. Fasting. How many know you eat a bunch and good stuff every day? You get picky. You don't eat anything for three weeks? Man, the golden arches <laughs> look good to you, man. You. <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, don't be in each other's face all the time. Give each other some space so that when you come out, she looks good and you look good. Then you go back your separate ways when you come back out. Don't say you have to be dressed, uh, you know, like you're going to church all the time. But you can still look good right. in your t-shirt. Hmm? Yeah. Or your house coat. Now, maybe not that house coat. Some of those house coats are poverty spirit. Got holes in them and raveled and you need to pitch that thing. And I've gone far enough on that. All right, number five. Are you ready? Number five. (laughs) Go to Romans. My word. (laughs) Help, Lord. Uh. You going to Romans? Thank you, Master. Number five. And this is, I think, the final one we'll talk about tonight. Has this helped you at all, though? Is this okay? Romans, the sixth chapter. I tell you, let's read it the other way around. Go to seven, and then we'll back up to six. Seven, Romans seven. And uh, six. Now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held. That we should serve how? In newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Everybody say newness of the spirit. Newness Newness of spirit. Go to the sixth chapter. Romans six. Romans six. 4, 6, 4 of Romans. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? In newness of life. 
Newness. Everybody say newness. See, he talked about newness of the spirit and newness of life. When you walk in the spirit, will there be a newness? That was weak. Let me ask you again. When you walk in the spirit, there is a newness of the spirit. The spirit of God is called the spirit of life. Life doesn't get old. Death gets old. The spirit doesn't get old. The flesh gets old. The big fear that people have in getting married is that the new will wear off. And then I'm going to be stuck with one person for the rest of my life. You know that's how people talk. And people don't just talk that way. They do. They get married. And after a few months and after a year, it's not like it was. And the newness is gone and the thrill is gone. And so they want somebody new. And they leave them. And they find so. And this is the way the world's living, isn't it? They, as soon as somebody gets old, they look for somebody new. Without realizing it's not going to be long until they're going to be old too. Hmm? So what are you going to do? Just trade spouses like cars? People do. And a lot of the folk that don't do it, they stay with their spouse out of a sense of duty. And over the years, sometimes their relationship degenerates into just roommates. They're comfortable with each other and it's no passion really. But it is old. That's because people are not growing. Are you with me? It's like this. If you're bored, it's because you're not growing. If you're growing, you're not bored. Simple. If you're growing, what's happening? I mean, we're in the end of spring here and coming into summer. And you look out and you see the trees have put out leaves and they've grown. And you look at the end of the limbs and there's some limb there that wasn't there. Is that right? You can see a lot of times it's that bright green. Huh? What does that mean? This is new growth. This is something that was not there. And it's brand new to us because it is brand new. It wasn't here before. That's the way you're supposed to be. That's the way your spouse is supposed to be. You can wake up with a new person every day. (laughs) You can go to bed with a new person every week. What do you mean? If you are growing as a Christian, there is new growth. And that newness never gets old. And you're going to be seeing things in them that wasn't there before. Amen. Amen. And they're seeing things in you that wasn't there before. And you don't have to try to work up and make yourself excited to try to find something new. Because something new is there. Something is there that wasn't there before. Growth. Everybody say growth. With growth is the newness that keeps things from getting old and things from getting 
uh, stale, which is my fifth point, is stagnancy. People get into stagnancy, and it's a relationship in a marriage killer. Stagnancy. People, they don't want to go home. Why? Same old, same old. Nothing new, same old junk. That's because people have not been growing. They have stopped. They have quit. Friend, if you're pouring yourself into God, and you're pouring the Word in you, and you're acting on the new things, how many understand, I mean, just in this conference right now, how many know there's some things you could act on? Would that change your life at all? You think some new growth could come out? And would that affect you in a positive way? You got something new in your relationship. There's no need for you to try to find somebody new. You got somebody new in the bed with you. Amen. Amen. And she's got somebody new. There's this newness. I'm not just trying to work you up. This is reality. This is something you can be excited. This is how one man, one woman could really not hype and put on, be excited about each other for a lifetime. Why? Because they're not the same person you married 20 years ago. They're much new and improved. (laughs) And when it's right... The path of the just gets brighter and brighter. They just get better and better. He gets better and better and she gets better and better. And there's something there to be excited about because there was something that wasn't there last year. They've grown as a person in God. They've grown in their personality and in their character and their ability. Everybody say newness. Newness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. New, read that one more time in closing here. Romans 6 and verse 4. We, have we been raised from the dead? Spiritually and going to be physically. Just like Christ has been raised from the dead. How? By the glory. Does that sound old and boring? Glory of the Father. We should walk in newness of Life, Not the old man, the new man. Not the flesh man, the spirit man. Not the same old, same old, the brand new. Coming out. On a daily basis. Hallelujah. That's how you keep it fresh. That's how you don't get bored. If you're bored, you're not growing. If you're growing, you're not bored. If you're not growing, it's because you're not doing something you know to do. You ever seen the kids sitting around in the summertime? Mama, we're bored. It's because you're not doing something you're supposed to be doing. Turn the TV off and get out and do what you're supposed to be doing. Like cutting the grass. (laughs) That is something I never told my mother and daddy. (laughs) Never. If I did have a chance to sit and be idle, I didn't tell them about it because they'd have 12 new jobs waiting on me. I could sit under the shade tree and not do a thing and be happy because it wasn't out in the field and it wasn't in the barn and it wasn't on the tractor or whatever. Now, people are bored because they're idle, because they're lazy. They're not doing what they should be doing. And when you are doing what you should be, what's going to happen? Growth. 
you're going to begin to grow. And when you grow, there's newness that begins to come out of you. And you are a new and improved and excitingly new person in some part of your life. And that keeps your spouse interested. And it keeps you interested in them. Stand up on your feet. Hallelujah. Well, we hadn't had shouting running spells in here <laughs> this week, but, uh, the, you know, it's a time to sit down and not run and listen. Amen. Because, uh, there's quite a number of folks that, you know, they have tapes and they talk in tongues and they go to church, but their marriage is a mess. And that's because they're not being a doer of the word. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.